Chapter Three of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three, before the coroner. In the Evening Standard of Wednesday, July seventh, eighteen seventy-two, appeared the following: Mysterious disappearance. Much anxiety is being felt by the family and friends of Mr. Robert Hatrell of River Lawn, Lamford, near Henley, who has been missing since last Monday afternoon he left the union bank cockspur street at three o'clock on that day in company with a friend intending to walk to lincoln's inn fields but he was accosted in cranburn street by a middle-aged woman of a genteel appearance whom he accompanied in the direction of greek street after taking leave of his friend he had in his possession a parcel of bank of england notes to the amount of some thousands and it is greatly feared that he has been made away with on account of this money the police have been on the alert since yesterday morning but up to a late hour last night no discovery had been made the following notice appeared in the times on july eighth dreadful murder in denmark street bloomsbury the mystery of mr hatrell's disappearance has been solved and the worst fears of his family and friends are realized on the thirtieth alt a foreigner of respectable appearance representing himself as a journeyman watchmaker employed at mr walker's cornhill took a second-floor back bedroom at number forty nine denmark street paying a week's rent in advance he appeared to be a person of orderly and sober habits he was out of doors all day and he went in and out morning and evening without attracting any notice from his fellow-lodgers he waited upon himself and always locked his door before going out there was therefore no curiosity excited by the fact that his room remained closed during the whole of last tuesday and although no one had seen the lodger in question it was supposed that he had gone out at the usual hour in the morning and had let himself in at the usual hour in the evening the house is in the occupation of three different families the first floor being occupied by a working tailor and the front room used as a workshop for three or four men the foreigner who gave the name of secchi and represented himself as a french swiss from the department of the jura had been accommodated with a latch-key it was only at six o'clock yesterday morning when the landlady knocked at the door of the second floor back with the intention of asking her lodger to leave his room open in order that she might clean it during his absence that suspicion was first aroused his hour for leaving the house was supposed to be about seven and not being able to obtain any reply at six the woman concluded that he had been out all night and proceeded to inquire of the other lodgers where he had last been seen she herself not having seen him since monday morning when he passed her in the passage at a quarter past seven on his way out no one remembered having seen him or heard any movement in his room since monday afternoon when one of the men in the tailor's workshop had seen him pass the open door on his way downstairs suspicion now being aroused the door was broken open and a terrible spectacle met the view of those who entered the room a man was found lying on the floor stabbed through the heart he had been stabbed in the back and there were three wounds two of which were deadly no weapon has yet been found but from the nature of the wounds it is supposed that they were inflicted by a double-edged knife the body was surrounded by the bed-clothing which had been stripped off the bed and spread about the murdered man so as to absorb the blood that might otherwise have stained the ceiling below death must have been instantaneous the deceased was a man whom few antagonists would have cared to attack single-handed his pockets had been rifled but his clothing was not disturbed and identification followed almost immediately upon the tidings of the murder being conveyed to scotland yard mr hatrell had driven a considerable sum of money out of the bank and was on his way to a solicitor's office in lincoln's inn fields to complete the purchase of an estate at the time he was decoyed to denmark street 
the police are actively engaged in the pursuit of the murderer and are said to be already in possession of an important clue a reward of five hundred pounds has been offered by the family of the deceased extracts from the report of the inquest published in the times of the following day july ninth colonel macdonald stated that he was an intimate friend of the deceased and that he had lunched with him at the army and navy club on monday the fifth instant deceased was in particularly high spirits during luncheon being much elated at the prospect of passing into immediate possession of a small estate adjoining his own grounds on the banks of the thames the estate was under ten acres but the situation of the land was exceptional and the amount to be paid for it was large close upon four thousand pounds he colonel macdonald could not remember the exact sum after luncheon he offered to accompany the deceased to the bank where he was to cash a cheque for the purchase money and from the bank the west end branch of the union bank of london in cockspur street he offered to walk with him to lincoln's inn fields the deceased being somewhat in advance of the hour named for the interview with the vendor's solicitors he and the deceased had been at eton together and he was he believed one of mr hatwell's oldest and most intimate friends they were in the habit of meeting frequently in london and he had often visited mr hatrell in his house in buckinghamshire coroner were you with the deceased at the counter of the bank when he cashed his cheque colonel macdonald i was standing at his elbow at the time did you observe where he put the notes he put them into a russia leather note-case which he placed in his breast pocket he was wearing a frock-coat i advised him to button his coat more in jest than in earnest as i considered the money perfectly safe where he had placed it when you left the bank with him did you observe any suspicious-looking person hanging about either side of the street had you any reason to suppose that your friend was watched not the slightest but i do not mean to state as a fact that there was no one lurking about or watching him the idea of such a probability never entered into my mind there was nothing out of the common in two men going in and coming out of a bank the fact of mr hatrell carrying some thousands could only be known to any one from previous information did anything occur on your way to cranburn street to suggest the notion that you were being followed nothing but if we had been followed the fact would in all probability have been unnoticed by either of us we were engaged in conversation the whole time and we were passing through a busy part of london nothing happened to my knowledge out of the common way until we entered cranburn street where a middle-aged woman of respectable appearance approached my friend and spoke to him in french he stopped to answer her and i drew a little way off while they were talking did you hear much of their conversation very little i was standing with my back to them looking into a print-shop i am not much good at the french language and they were speaking french all the time was it a long conversation it seemed longish to me i was waiting for my friend and had very little to engage my attention i don't suppose the conversation really lasted ten minutes you must have overheard something you know some french i suppose i overheard enough to know that the woman was talking of some person who was very ill in a dying state as i understood and who wanted to see hatrell the woman seemed to be pleading for this dying person i heard the name antoinette repeated two or three times in the course of the conversation hatterall walked a few paces further with me after this leaving the frenchwoman waiting for him he told me that he felt obliged to go with this woman to see someone an old acquaintance the visit would be a matter of less than an hour as the house was not far off and in the meantime he wanted me to go on to the solicitors in lincoln's inn fields to explain his unavoidable delay and to assure them that he would be with them half an hour after the appointment which was for four o'clock 
i shall take a hansom as soon as i have seen this person he said it is an urgent case sickness destitution i reminded him of the large sum of money on his person and asked him if the woman was known to him he told me that she was indirectly she was nearly related to the person he was going to see who was an old acquaintance you don't suppose i'm going to be decoyed and murdered he said laughing and upon my word with his magnificent physique and perfect vigour of health and manhood he seemed about the last man whom any one would try to decoy in the heart of london and in broad daylight the idea seemed as preposterous to me as it did to him he told me i could carry the money to the solicitors myself if i liked an offer which i laughingly declined and so he left me never to be seen by these eyes again as a living man the witness was here deeply affected and the coroner paused for some moments before continuing the examination did you see the direction in which the deceased and his companion went away yes i turned to watch them they went into cranburn alley that was the last you saw of them yes there was one thing which i observed on my way back towards st martin's lane which it has since occurred to me might have some bearing upon my poor friend's fate as i passed a small italian coffee-house a few doors from the spot at which hatwell and i parted i noticed a man standing in the doorway looking down the street in the direction of cranburn alley and it seemed to me on after consideration that he was standing there for a purpose on the watch for something or someone in the street he had a more intent look than a casual idler would have had i crossed the road almost immediately after i observed this man and i loitered a little on my way to st martin's lane looking at one or two shops as i waited at the corner with my face towards long acre a hansom passed close by me and i recognized the man being driven in it as the same man i had seen at the door of the cafe should you know the man if you were to see him again i'm afraid not it was the expression of his face that struck me not the face itself he had a keen eager look like a man in a desperate hurry the cabman was driving very fast the wheel almost grazed me as the cab shot round the corner in what direction was the cab going towards st giles church that would be in the direction of denmark street would it not yes it is the way to denmark street i walked over the ground this morning the witness appeared deeply affected but gave his evidence in a straightforward and business-like manner you had known the deceased from boyhood you say did you know anything in the history of his life calculated to throw any light upon his conduct in so readily accompanying this foreign woman to denmark street nothing you had never heard of his having relations with a person called antoinette no i never heard of any one by that name but i have heard him speak of a girl in paris with whom he was in love two or three years before his marriage do you suppose that there was an intrigue between him and that girl i think not he spoke of her quite frankly and on one occasion in the presence of his wife to whom he was most devoted i remember that upon that occasion his romantic passion for the frenchwoman was joked about by husband and wife i do not for a moment believe in any dishonourable connection in his past life but you think that antoinette may have been the name of the girl he admired i think it very likely and that the name was used as a lure to get him to the house in denmark street i have no doubt that it was so when did you first hear of his disappearance early the following day when i received a telegram from his wife asking for information about him mrs hatrell knew that her husband was to lunch with me on monday and naturally applied to me when first she took alarm 
a member of the firm of solicitors in lincoln's inn fields gave evidence as to the appointment made by the deceased for the payment of the purchase money three thousand eight hundred sixty five pounds and the execution of the conveyance this witness described the arrival of colonel macdonald with the message from the deceased and the surprise that was felt at mr hatwell's non-arrival it being known to the firm that he was a man of punctual and business-like habits and particularly anxious to pass into possession of the property in question the bank clerk who cashed mr hatwell's cheque deposed the amount and numbers of the notes and stated that the police were already in possession of these numbers and on the alert to discover any attempt that might be made to dispose of the notes either in england or on the continent mrs moore the landlady of the house in denmark street described the appearance and characteristics of the foreigner who engaged her second-floor back bedroom on the thursday preceding the murder he was a very civil-spoken man he looked quite the gentleman he spoke english like a foreigner and i believe he was a frenchman his way of talk was quite different from a german gentleman in the tailoring who occupies my first floor i should certainly have put him down as a frenchman and he told me he was a french swiss from the neighbourhood of neuchatel and that he worked for mr walker of cornhill i couldn't have wished for a more respectable lodger he offered me a week's rent in advance as he was a stranger and i did not hesitate about taking him there was nothing repulsive or disreputable in his appearance nothing that set you against him nothing he told me that he should want no attendance as he was used to waiting upon himself if he wanted a cup of tea he would take the teapot down to my back kitchen i don't burn any fire in the front room in summer time and would boil up my kettle all he would want would be for me to clean his room once or twice a week did he bring any luggage only one small portmanteau the police have taken that away it was opened in my presence and there was nothing in it except an old pair of trousers a brush and comb and a few foreign books and newspapers were you at home on the day of the murder yes i was indoors all that day yet you did not see or hear the deceased come into the house i was in my back kitchen most of the day doing my weekly wash could you not hear people go in or out of the street door when you were in the back kitchen yes i could hear them going along the passage and upstairs but i wasn't likely to take notice of who went out or came in the men from the tailor's workshop used to go in and out and up and down at all hours there are other lodgers in the attics and an old lady and gentleman in the parlours i might have noticed a stranger's step perhaps if i had been on the listen for i knew the footsteps of most of the lodgers but i was very busy with my wash and i didn't take much notice what was the state of the room when you and mr schmidt broke open the door the deceased was lying on his face stabbed through the back the bed curtain was drawn a counterpane and blanket had been dragged off the bed and placed round the deceased so as to sop up the blood was there anything to indicate that the murderer's clothes or hands were bloody when he left the room any smears upon the door or traces of bloody footprints on the floor there wasn't a sign of anything of that kind but there was blood-stained water in the wash-basin and a towel stained with blood on the washstand the police examined the room should you know your lodger if you were to see him again i could swear to him anywhere john smallman journeyman tailor deposed to having seen the frenchman go downstairs some time on monday afternoon he took notice of the fact as on friday and saturday the man had been out all day and was supposed to be in constant employment in the watchmaking trade he laughed and told one of his mates that the frenchman had been keeping st monday 
he could not say the precise time at which he had seen the man pass the landing but he knew that it was some time after four and that the church clock hard by had not struck five he generally went out for his tea when st giles church clock struck five did you notice anything peculiar about the appearance of the man as he passed the landing no he walked with a bit of a swagger and he was whistling softly to himself as he went downstairs he was whistling that tune french people are so uncommon fond of the marseillaise perhaps you mean no it was the other tune young dunois partant pour la syrie yes that was it had you or any of your mates struck up an intimacy with this frenchman had you got into conversation with him upon any occasion not us he was a very close party and seemed to think himself a good bit above the rest of the lodgers he'd only been in the house a few days before the murder did none of you see him after that monday afternoon none of us i don't believe he ever entered the house after he left at that time a cabman who had come forward of his own accord deposed to having driven a man from cranbourne street to the corner of denmark street about half-past three o'clock on the afternoon of the murder the man hailed him from the pavement in front of an italian coffee-shop he told him to drive as fast as he could go and he should have double fare he did drive fast getting over the distance in about five minutes and the man gave him a florin he got out at the corner of the street nearest the church witness stopped to see where he went and he saw him enter a house on the right side of the street which he had since identified as the house where the murder was committed witness believed that he would be able to recognize the man in question he was a dark-complexioned man between thirty and forty rather a good-looking man and he looked like a foreigner french or italian most likely italian the medical evidence indicated that two out of the three wounds had pierced the heart and that death must have been almost instantaneous the deceased was a very powerful man heart and lungs sound as a bell such a man could not have been attacked single-handed unless taken completely off his guard there were other witnesses examined and the inquest was adjourned for a week the usual order being given for the burial of the deceased in accordance with the desire of his friends the adjourned inquiry involved very little additional information much of the original evidence was repeated but no new facts had been discovered relative to the murderer except mr walker's repudiation of any knowledge of such a man's existence no man of that name had ever been employed in mr walker's workshops in cornhill the police had up to this time totally failed in their efforts to trace either the missing man or the missing notes the murder not having been discovered until a day and a half after it had been done the murderer had had ample time to cross the channel before the police were on his track he would probably endeavour to dispose of the notes in holland or in germany and perhaps leave hamburg or bremen for america the london police were in communication with their brotherhood on the continent and all suspicious departures from havre marseilles antwerp hamburg or bremen or any of the principal ports would be noted the large reward which had been offered by the widow of the deceased was calculated to stimulate the energies of scotland yard but the efforts of scotland yard resulted only in the following up of various false scents all alike leading to disappointment and disgust the one scent which if it could have been followed while it was warm should have led to the apprehension of the murderer was a lost scent because the lapse of time had made it cold before the scotland yard pack could be laid on 
ten days after the murder there came communications from the crédit lyonnais at nice from the crédit lyonnais at cannes and from mr smith's bank at monte carlo which disposed of the question as to what had become of the money which should have been paid for young squire florestan's river meadows the bundle of notes which robert hatrell had pocketed so gaily that summer afternoon after his cheery luncheon at the army and navy club in the morning of july seven an elderly woman had called at the crédit lyonnais at cannes to exchange two notes of five hundred pounds each for french money she was a person of ladylike appearance and manners spoke french with a parisian accent and impressed the cashier as a personage to whom the utmost respect was due she was very particular in exacting the fullest rate of exchange for her thousand pounds and seemed to take a miserly delight in the trifling profit made on the transaction she informed the cashier en passant that she had hired a villa in the quartier de californie and that she required the greater part of this money to pay half the season's rent in advance she also added en passant that the people of cannes were usurious in their insistence upon payment beforehand from a tenant whose integrity and whose means it was impossible to doubt this was said with an air of quiet dignity which confirmed the cashier in his idea that he was dealing with a personage these details were communicated later in confidential talk with the detective who followed up the clue the main fact telegraphed to scotland yard was the fact that such and such notes had been turned into french money from monte carlo came an account of a larger transaction an elderly lady of aristocratic appearance had called at the english bank there late on the afternoon of july seven and had changed three bank of england notes for five hundred pounds each taking in exchange french notes twenty franc pieces and those large gold pieces of a hundred francs which make so fine a display in a rouleau on a trente et quarante table here as at cannes the cashier had been impressed by the lady's distinction of manner and perfect savoir-faire the easy way in which she handled a five hundred pound note indicated long experience of wealth a gambler evidently thought the cashier but a woman rich enough to afford to gamble without any sordid anxiety as to the result a person whose presence did honour to the delightful little settlement on the rock from nice came a third telegram elderly woman exchanged two notes such and such numbers as advertise for five hundred pounds each and one also number as advertise for two hundred and fifty pounds on july eight at eleven o'clock a m at the crédit lyonnais a letter following the above telegram informed the authorities of scotland yard that the elderly woman in question was of distinguished appearance speaking french perfectly and supposed by the cashier to be a frenchwoman she had alleged as her reason for changing the notes that she had bought a plot of land at beaulieu with the intention of building a villa there and she preferred to pay for it in french money the owner of the land she added was an ignorant man who seemed never to have seen a bank of england note and there was also the advantage upon the exchange again as at cannes the distinguished elderly lady showed herself eager for the utmost profit upon the exchange the money taken from the murdered man was thus accounted for within a hundred and fifteen pounds the odd money being in smaller notes might easily be disposed of without leaving any trace in the memory of the people who received it there could be very little doubt that the elderly lady of cannes was identical with the elderly lady of nice and monte carlo her description as given by the three cashiers tallied in every particular especially in the trifling detail of a rather noticeable mole just above the outer corner of the left eyebrow and in another detail as to the lady's hands which were remarkable for their whiteness and delicacy of form
hands which had gone a long way towards suggesting the idea of the lady's patrician birth and refined breeding to the minds of the three cashiers one of the cleverest detectives in london charged himself with the task of following the trail of this nameless lady taking up the thread at nice after a quarter past eleven upon the eighth july which was the time of her latest recorded appearance it needed a good deal of close work in the way of inquiry at nearly every hotel in the city to discover that an elderly french woman of good appearance spent the night of july seventh at the hotel des princes that she arrived by the late train from monte carlo that her only luggage consisted of a hand-bag neither large nor heavy that she went out soon after ten o'clock in the morning of the eighth lunched in her own room at twelve and left the hotel at half-past twelve in a cab which was called for her at the door carrying her bag with her after duly paying her bill neither porter nor waiter had observed the number of the cab nor had any one heard her direction to the driver it was supposed she was going to the railway station and the hour at which she left suggested that she was going in the rapide which leaves vantimy at six minutes past eleven for paris as the aforesaid rapide stops at nearly every station between nice and marseilles the lady's range of country as to choice of where she should alight would be wide but the local idea was that any person so ill-advised as to leave nice was hardly likely to stop till he or she came to paris between nice and paris there was practically nothing a monotonous progression of orange orchards seashore and wooded hills an insignificant watering-place or two cannes saint raphael a shipbuilding settlement and a seaport but for pleasure for gaiety for movement for the lovers of opera playhouse and little horses absolutely nothing the intelligent detective visited monte carlo and saw the cashier at mr smith's bank he went into the rooms and talked to the attendants he met an acquaintance or two also bent on business but he could find out nothing more about the elderly lady he went to cannes and put the cannes cashier through a kind of socratic dialogue in the way of close questioning but could get no more than had been already told a house-to-house visitation of the hotels resulted in the discovery that an elderly frenchwoman travelling alone had descended at the hotel de france at half-past seven o'clock in the morning of the seventh arriving doubtless by the train which leaves marseilles an hour after midnight she had breakfasted alone in her room had gone out before eleven had lunched and paid her bill and left the hotel in a cab a little before two o'clock in the afternoon there was nothing to show where the woman had gone when she left nice inquiries at the station there had been without result of any kind whether she had set her face towards the italian frontier or whether she had gone by marseilles to paris or had stopped at marseilles or had turned westward and crept by slow trains down to biarritz or bordeaux there was no power could help the intelligent gentleman from scotland yard to discover she was gone from her appearance at the hotel de france at cannes to her disappearance from the hotel des princes at nice she had been alone of whomsoever she might be the accomplice she had been trusted to carry out her mission uncontrolled and unwatched the bond between her and the murderer must be very tight mused the detective for he would never trust her with the whole of his plunder it's my belief that she has gone to paris and that he was to meet her in paris but how to look for a man of whose antecedents i know nothing and of whose appearance i know only the vague impressions of three or four people who all describe him differently is a problem beyond my capacity he thought it worth his while nevertheless to spend the best part of a week in paris and in professional circles where if ingenuity and long experience of criminal ways and windings could have helped him to a clue he might have obtained one 
but no clue was to be found all the detective's researches among doubtful characters and the places which they are known to haunt all his long hours of patient hanging about at railway stations in cellars where they make music at bars where they drink mysterious liquors called by eccentric and alarming names and in this suspected quarter and in that were but fruitless labour he could see nothing and could hear nothing of any man answering to the description of the man who had announced himself as a swiss watchmaker at the denmark street lodging-house the detective pursued his researches at havre but he could obtain no trace of any such person lately embarked on one of the numerous american and other steamers which leave that port such a man might have sailed unnoted as there was nothing distinctive in the description of the murderer to mark him out from the common herd of superior mechanics it's hard lines for a man to let such a chance slip through his fingers the detective said to himself but i don't believe any man will ever grow rich out of the denmark street murder the job was too neatly done and the people in it were too clever End of chapter three